0: morning and welcome to The Skinny for Friday, September 22nd, the last day of summer here in 2023. I'm Mitch Perry, senior political reporter for the Florida Phoenix. Flying solo this morning as Ray Ray, Ray Roa and Ben Montgomery are out this week. I believe they'll both be back next week, uh, so we wish them well. Uh, we're going to talk about the state of affairs in the city of St. Petersburg today, something we really haven't addressed this year on The Skinny, despite the fact that I'm a resident there. And we booked our guest uh, before this week's announcement about a new baseball stadium proposed ballpark for the Tampa Bay Rays in St. Petersburg. Well, there's certainly been a lot of cheerleading about this development and, um, we're going to have here a little bit of a dissenting voice on that. Joining us on the phone right now or on, via Zoom is Richie Floyd. He's been serving in the St. Petersburg City Council since January of 2022. Uh, he's uh, been elected. So uh, he's back elected over Jeff Danner in an extremely close race in District 8. He's also the youngest member of the council at the age of 32. And he's also a member of the Democratic Socialist for America. And we'll get into that later in the, the interview here. Richie, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on here with us, Richie. So, uh, yeah, the big news, of course, definitely is a big news. Uh, The Tampa Bay in the Tampa Bay area's announcement made on Tuesday that the Tampa Bay Rays have come to an agreement with the city of St. Petersburg and Pinellas County for a new 30,000 seat baseball field that will cost an estimated one point three billion dollars. The plan calls for about $600 million in public city and county money for the ballpark, while well, the Rays say they will cover the remaining $700 million. Uh, the city will pay as much as another $130 million for public infrastructure in the development around the stadium. Now, there was a big press conference on Tuesday at Tropicana Field, and uh, I was not there, but I was listening and watching via Spectrum Bay News 9. And I was listening to Mayor Ken Welch, and he was talking about the other city council members there, and I noticed that he did not mention your name, uh, and then I learned just actually a little before the show here that you actually were not at the event. So, uh, Richie, w- w- why not? Why were you we not there?
1: So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, a lot of news um, this week out of the the um, redevelopment and uh, the Rays building a new stadium, and there was a press conference Tuesday, you mentioned, uh, and I did not attend because uh, I have some serious concerns about it. Uh, I know everyone's celebratory that the Rays want to stay, and it's great that they want to stay, um, and I, I look forward to them staying. Um, but I think right now what's most important is that the public knows what the actual cost of the uh, of them staying is and the cost of this redevelopment is. You mentioned some of the details uh, before, $130 million for infrastructure. Uh, $300 million. And I'm just talking about from the city um, in city funds. uh, And you know, what some of the what some of this money really could go to and and that's not the end of it. I mean, we're selling uh, publicly owned land for um, uh, much under its appraised value, Uh, the total subsidy just between the land and the um, between the land, the public dollars for the stadium and the public dollars for infrastructure gets into the $800 million point. Uh, It's a significant amount of money. And I think the public really needs to be aware of it uh, before we can go on and have this conversation. And so that's why I am hesitant to uh, jump right on board. Um, And that's just the cost of the cash. I mean, if you count in the debt service, we're looking at well over a billion dollars worth of money uh, to go to something that is nice. And yes, it's great for us all to have, Uh, But is it really the most effective thing for us to do with our city money right now uh, when child poverty in the city is growing, um, when income inequality in the city is growing? Uh, when we have issues with homelessness and food access, uh, I question some of the wisdom. And so that's why I've uh, avoided the situation or I didn't go to the press conference right, the other day. Right. So are, are you are
0: you you know completely against it or are you ha- still have an open mind about when you know you hear some of these things? But I, I hear where you're coming from, because it's this is this is one of these fundamental issues that that people have uh, in the public. And certainly, you know, elected officials when it comes to subsidizing uh, a professional sports franchise? uh, Because as you just mentioned, there are a lot of other needs that this community has, and this is a lot of money.
1: Yeah. So no, I wouldn't say I'm completely against it. I would say we have to make sure that we get a deal that makes sense for us financially. The biggest problem with this, yes, is that we have other things to spend money on, but really it's uh, that we also have a huge amount of risk involved in this. Now, uh, you know, on that infrastructure money, the $130 million, there's likely to be cost overruns. There's been cost overruns on every government project we've done lately. Uh, so we have issues there. There's Um, you know, apparently in the, in the deal, it says we don't have to pay for cost overruns on the stadium, but what do you think is going to happen if they run out of money and they can't build the stadium, they're going to come asking for more. And we're going to be in a tough situation because we need that to be built, especially after we've invested so much in it. So the risk is really sort of like what's hanging over my head because the last time we did this, uh, we built Tropicana field in the first place. Um, it did not go well. There was significant cost overruns and the city had to raise property taxes twice to be able to meet its debt service. I'm going to make sure we do not get into a situation like that. I'll do everything I can to make sure we don't get into a situation like that. Um, and so am I completely opposed to a deal? No, but I don't want there to be much risk. And I want to make sure that we're actually investing in things that need to be invested in and not just the profits of uh, uh, business that's worth well over a billion dollars.
0: Indeed, we're speaking with St. Petersburg City Council member Richie Floyd. Richie, also, um, this is, of course, part of this entire 86-acre, $6.5 billion redevelopment of the gas plant district. Of course, the city is working with the uh, global real estate firm Heinz. They're talking about a a, a part of this whole project of being 6,000 residents, including 1,200 affordable and workforce units, both on and off site, a million point four square feet of office space. 750,000 square feet of retail, a 750-room hotel, uh, 100,000 square feet of conference space, 14,000 parking spaces, uh, starting with a garage to service race fans when the new stadium is built. It also include refurbished park space along Booker Creek, a concert or entertainment venue that could hold up to 4,000 people, and new space for the Dr. Carter G. Woodson African American Museum. Um, There's a lot going on with this. What are your thoughts about that?
1: yeah that's all wonderful actually um that's why i say you know i'm not totally opposed to it we need to make sure that the deal works out for us um but we had a lot of proposals that uh included a lot of things like that and so um you know this wasn't the only one that was going to meet our needs as a city uh this was just the only one that involved subsidizing a billion dollar business's profit line and so um it's good that we're going to get all of those things i think it's time uh the tropicana field property is uh significantly underutilized a giant parking lot in the middle in the heart of your city is not a great thing um i look forward to the details of that um i think there's been some news around the city uh some talking around the city about uh affordable housing and who's it really affordable for i haven't seen the details on that yet and so um i'm waiting to see it because you know just for instance there's talk about 2300 two-bedroom apartments are considered workforce affordable housing and so I think there'd be a lot of people in the city that would dispute as to whether or not that's actually affordable. So we'll see what the details are.
0: Okay, and definitely we know I think they said that a main vote on this is going to be at the city council, maybe not so early next year. Is that that what you understand?
1: Yeah, it's still going to take some work. I mean, this is what's been presented is not going to be exactly what we vote on because uh, it's been uh, negotiated by the mayor and the county and city council is going to have a committee meeting on it in the next month or so. Uh, And we'll give our input, and I'm sure they'll go back and tweak things here and there, and then it'll be maybe in the spring, early spring next year when we actually get to uh, vote on it.
0: Okay, then let's talk about other subjects because, yes, this will obviously be a topic of conversation on shows like this and other places in the Bay Area for months, potentially years to come. So uh, we don't have to get all into it right now in the, the next few minutes. So let's move on, though, because we do have you here and there's a lot going on in the city of St. Petersburg. Um, talking about real estate areas, um, what about, let's talk about Tangerine Plaza, if we could. That, of course, is an area in South St. Petersburg that has been um, a subject of trying to get more development there, ie a grocery store. Uh, I saw a story recently that former uh, councilman Robert Blackman is thinking about doing something there. What, anything going on in that development area?
1: Yeah, I can I can give you the latest um, Tangerine Plaza, uh, former grocery store that was in uh, Midtown, Saint Petersburg, South Saint Pete, uh, that um, closed, and now there's a food desert, and so there's a lack of fresh food options in the area. Uh, the administration's office, uh, they they do the negotiations with development agreements before they ever come to council. They've been negotiating with one group on uh, bringing a grocery store there and some housing as well. Uh, and they've been in those negotiations for a while. Um, can't say for sure, but I think the better part of a year. Um, and then since, since we've been in those negotiations, uh, the former city council member offered $1.6 million dollars. Uh, cash to buy the property and uh have like a five-year covenant i think on um making sure that there's a grocery store there um i think that the administration right now is just trying to work out what deal they want to get to with i don't know the previous developers or maybe they throw that out and go through a whole new bid process i'm not sure what they're thinking is i'm waiting for an update uh all of council's been poking and prodding them to get an update um And, you know, as far as food goes, this is not even the only place in town that we have a lack of access to fresh foods. Council's been working on things like uh, uh, food forest programs and community gardens. Uh, But I've got a new business item in even this week to discuss municipally owned grocery stores, uh, which is a program that works well in rural communities in Florida, where Mm -hmm. uh, there's been disinvestment. So I'm looking to continue this conversation.
0: Oh, I'm very interested in that. And maybe uh, definitely talk to you about that later after the show, actually. Um, So this is the time of year when city councils are approving their budget for the the upcoming year. Uh, And for Mayor Ken Welch's budget, I believe you're the only council member to oppose it. Is that accurate? And and why was that the case?
1: Yeah, I was. And uh, it's not that there's not a a lot of good things in the budget. There are Uh, The issue is, and I mentioned it before, we have uh, some extreme things going on in the city. Uh, Between 2019 and uh, 2022, child poverty for those under five years old and those under 18 years old have doubled. Um, We have uh, an extreme housing issue. And I just don't think the budget goes far enough to speaking to those issues, as well as... Uh, I think there's a discrepancy in worker pay within our city where we pay our emergency personnel very well, and we uh, keep the wages of everyone else really low, even though they're incredibly important to the city. And so that's some of the stuff I hung up on in it. Uh, But really, I think another thing that's huge is the way that we're handling property taxes and our utility rates. Uh, We continue to cut property taxes, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, we saw what happened in Tampa, it's a mess, raising them is a horrible idea, but uh cutting them while raising utility rates, uh, the two main uh, service fees that the, ta- the city takes from you are utility rates and property taxes. Utility rates are paid for by users, the people who live here. Property taxes, that's not necessarily the case. They're paid for by property owners, 40% of which are not homeowners, and many of which are corporations that live, that exist outside of our city. And so, Uh, I think we should put more of an emphasis on lowering the utility rates instead of the property taxes, because that captures the users and the residents of St. Pete more holistically than the property taxes does. I'm not saying raise them. That's a terrible idea, but just keep them where they're at and subsidize the utility rates more. And so those are my contentions with the budget. Uh, I think we've had a spirited discussion over it. and People have seemed interested in having that conversation um, as time goes on, but it's late in the process. So that's why I was the only person to vote the way that it did.
0: Again, if you're just tuning in right now, you're listening to The Skinny here on WMNF Radio. I'm Mitch Perry. I'm speaking with St. Petersburg City Council Member Richie Floyd about various issues going on in the city of St. Petersburg. Richie, you mentioned uh, housing, and that is obviously, I don't know if it's a top issue, but it has to be the top three, not only in St. Petersburg, but in the Tampa Bay area and throughout the state of Florida. affordable housing. And as we know, as you well know, um, tenant rights have had a major It's been a nightmare for tenant rights, basically, in Florida in 2023, thanks to the Florida legislature. Uh, In fact, you know, not only can you no longer – it was very kind of weak anyway in terms of trying to have any type of rent control and put – Done here in the city. You had to go through a referendum to do that. Um, tenants' bills of rights, which were passed in Saint Petersburg as a way to give some protections to renters, is no longer allowed. Um, and you know, I think you called that bill that was passed uh, insulting. I know you're looking for ways to at least have some protections without breaking state rules. And I believe that the city council. Um, the city council is looking at ways to use federal law to help prevent income discrimination against people who have housing vouchers. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah. So, uh, that is accurate. We are currently studying uh, what's possible under federal law to make sure that there's no discrimination in housing. We have the fair housing act. Um, and HUD lately has been taking a more expansive view as to what entails discrimination. So we're working, uh, to research that right now. Um, there's nothing concrete. We'll have a committee meeting in, uh the next couple of months about it where the legal team reports back their research but yeah we're really trying to use federal law um make sure we're enforcing the state laws to the best of our ability that's been one big deal uh that we've had because a lot of times things like eviction filings and whatnot don't actually follow the right process so we're trying to make sure that those things are enforced and we're doing the best we can because you're right housing's uh one of the top issues uh in the city and i think actually it's it's a part of what I think is the biggest issue in the city, which is the cost of living for literally everyone from top to bottom.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about that. Um, you are, of course, uh, you know, you came from an activist background. And I think that was manifested in terms of back in April when we've had, of course, in Florida, well, not only do we have the end of uh, – Uh, the Roe decision, right, last year in terms of abortion rights. But also we now have a 15-week ban, and that could go to six weeks, depending on when the Florida Supreme Court uh, rules on that 15-week law. Back in April, the city council, and you were uh, leading the way on this, had a proposal that would have provided $50,000 to the Tampa Bay Abortion Fund for helping residents seeking abortions outside of the state. Uh, and then we heard from the state, okay, a couple of lawmakers, GOP lawmakers from the area, not from St. Petersburg, but from the Bay Area, Bernie Jacques from Seminole and Hillsborough counties, Mike Beltran sent a very threatening letter to the city council that said that you could not provide any economic assistance to the Tampa Bay Abortion Fund, and they would oppose any appropriations for the city until the city disavowed any effort to provide those dollars um let's talk about that that would happen a few months ago and and that issue i think is basically dead now that was uh uh they, they pretty much you know said like we're not going to let you do this uh talk about that richie
1: yeah sure i'll talk about it um you pretty much covered it uh i had a proposal in to donate um city funds to the Tampa Bay abortion fund specifically to go to Uh, people to overcome logistical barriers to getting uh, reproductive healthcare access as a whole, not just abortion, Um, which those things could be like, you don't have a ride to the doctor's office. Um, You need uh, to get food because you're having to stay in a hotel overnight, stuff like that. Um, Just things to help low-income people overcome the logistic barriers because that's what they're throwing up. And so, uh, yeah, we had uh, an email or we got a letter from uh two state representatives uh threatening the city uh this is just par for the course um the city does or the state does not want to do anything that helps working class people that helps women seeking health care um that helps tenants uh and they're literally going to do everything they can in their power to stop local governments from trying to help their own residents and so that's exactly what happened in that circumstance um the vote failed uh unfortunately after the threats um And, you know, they'll try to make good on them. You've seen what Ron DeSantis has done to people. So um, uh, that's fine. I respect my colleagues for making that decision, although I did not back down and I do not disavow anything. Um, But uh, they explicitly made it illegal in this last uh, legislative session to do anything like this. And so that's why the issue is dead, because, you know, they uh, where it wasn't illegal previously, they've explicitly made it so now. Indeed. Okay, so
0: it's 1124 right now. We've got Richie Floyd here on the line from St. Petersburg, St. Pete City Council member. Uh, it, halfway through basically his uh, first four-year term, uh, if he hopefully he gets a second term there in a few years. Um, got some text here, and by the way, you can text us at, uh, or send us an email, excuse me, uh, dj at wmnf.org. You can also call us here, uh, 813-239-9663. Uh, somebody, I say somebody because he doesn't leave a name here, uh, wrote in here. It says a Golden Sachs executive, or Golden. Sachs executives bought the raise in 2004 for $200 million. 19 years later, they receive $600 million in public dollars and 86 acres of public land to displace the black community, keep public land public, no deal. Uh, okay, that is from an anonymous person. We have another anonymous person here uh, on the line here, so we'll bring this person up uh, calling in from St. Petersburg and see what they want to talk about here. Hi, you're on WMNF. Hi, thanks for doing this show, and uh, thank
2: you, council member, for being on Um, I had a question for the council member directly. Um, have you had any meetings with, uh, the CEO of the downtown partnership, Jason Mathis, um, about the creation of a business improvement district in St. Petersburg? Uh,
1: no, I have not had any meetings with Jason Mathis about the business improvement district. I met with Jason Mathis, I think, one time as a since I've been a council member just for a meet and greet a couple of years ago, um, we, but it wasn't an idea then. Um, that that meeting was actually about tax breaks for corporations and how I oppose that. Uh, but, yeah, that's been an idea that they've been floating around in the downtown partnership, and there's a lot of concern from the community that it is really sort of a anti-homeless push and a way to get uh, homeless people pushed out of downtown. And so I'm watching that with a, a skeptical eye and a close eye, um, to see how it all unfolds.
2: Okay. Yeah. And to piggyback on that, you know, um, you're familiar of, uh, PSTA's CEO, Brad Miller, uh, wanting to implement a 50 cent fare for the, uh, Sunrunner, uh, uh, quote unquote to reduce the number of homeless individuals who are using it to access the beach. Uh, Brad Miller worked uh, in the movement branch of the St. Pete downtown partnership that has close ties with the uh, St. Pete City Council. Also, Gina Driscoll sits on the uh, board of, of the uh, – she's the chair of the board of the PSTA, and she also is the District 6 member where this uh, downtown improvement district is being proposed uh, to privatize all public space from Fifth Avenue North to Fifth Avenue South, from Fifth Street to the Bay—that all that area would be controlled by a private corporation, um, uh, and by people like Brad Miller, you know, who are trying to implement, uh, you know, criminal affairs. Actually, uh, can can you speak a little bit about that and uh, your feelings on that?
1: Yeah. So what ended up happening was uh, they voted to um, add. Sunrunner fares that were supposed to be fr- free through November uh, to start them in October and uh, they made the city cancel plans to uh, keep the Sunrunner free in St. Petersburg indefinitely uh, because the city of St. Pete Beach was complaining that too many homeless people were riding the beach, uh, riding the bus to the beach. Um, I don't know that there's been any legitimate evidence presented that uh, that's because of the bus. Let's just be honest. The city of St. Pete never want St. Pete Beach never wanted the bus in the first place. Um, and, you know, this is just the latest in that saga. Um, so they did implement the they did implement a fair. It's going to start in October. I think it's incredibly discriminatory. I think even uh, people who don't see eye to eye with me politically were in the PSCA meeting where they did this and said this is ripe for a lawsuit because we're clearly expressing that we want to discriminate against a certain class of people. Uh, And honestly, uh, I'm incredibly uh, frustrated and embarrassed by the whole situation. I think um, we need to do a better job of taking care of people and not just belittling people. Um, So I was frustrated by the PSTA thing. Uh, I think they're still open for a lawsuit. I also just don't think it's true i mean i ride the bus here uh, all the time the Sunrunner, other buses as well number seven um and i the demographics of people are all over the place constantly so i i um i'm frustrated by that situation and uh as far as the stuff downtown goes uh like i mentioned i think it's all related as well like you you described um i can't speak to it because it actually hasn't come to fruition yet But, yeah, I'm concerned about that stuff, too.
0: Okay, caller, thanks very much. And, again, if you're just tuning in right now, it's almost 1130 here on Friday morning here. You're listening to WMNF 88.5 FM, The Skinny here with Mitch Perry. And I'm speaking with City Council Member Richie Foyd. We've got Richie on for a few more minutes here. Uh, You mentioned we talked about homeless just now. So let's talk about this. There's been a vast increase in people parking in vans and buses in the city uh, to the extent that folks are living in vehicles like this and parking them on city streets. And the council looks like they're poised to do something about what it's called so-called van life. Uh, so I know in the public service and infrastructure committee meeting last week, you approved updating code language of dealing with this issue. So tell our listeners, Richie, what's the situation
1: here? Okay, so first you said you approved. I did not approve. I'm not a member of that committee, and I came and oh. gave a dissenting opinion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I was there, so I okay. see that. Yeah, so anyway, I just want to make that clear. I have some issues with this as well. So – Uh, We do have a real problem in this situation, which is that uh, people are parking their vans and campers um, mostly near the waterfront North Shore Park uh, and staying there, making it difficult for other people to park. Uh, Yeah, I understand, like, you know, why you would want to make sure that there's uh, turnover in those parking spaces. People can get there and enjoy the waterfront in our city. It's one of the most important parts of our city. Uh, But what the um, ordinance that they're advancing does is reclassify uh, passenger vans and campers, uh, if they've had even slight modifications, to turn them not into passenger vehicles, but uh, what's called domestic equipment. Uh, and it makes it to where uh, it's very difficult for them to park on any city street for any a period of time uh, at all. And so it really is pushing those people out of the city. Um, I think they're taking a sledgehammer to an issue that they could easily just take a scalpel to. They could just say, Hey, we need better parking enforcement. Make sure people are moving, make sure there's turnover. Uh, but instead they're basically saying like, we don't want these people in our city at all. We'd want them pushed out completely. And that's where I'm struggling and why I've, uh, why I was dissenting in the meeting. Um, it's still going to have to go to council to be discussed, but, um, you know, even the coverage of this, Um, From like the St. Pete catalyst, described like why we've seen an uptick in it lately. Um, It's just that you can buy a sprinter van for. $75,000, $75,000, or you can buy a house for 500000 And a lot of people are making that calculation right now, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Richie, before we let you go, you know, as I mentioned at the top of the show, and we know when we covered you running for City Council a couple years ago, you're a member of DSA, Democratic Socialists of America. You have an activist background. I first met you in the summer of 2020, uh, after the death of George Floyd, when there was a lot of activism on the streets of downtown St. Petersburg. You're you know, in city government here. Um, I'd like to ask you, just in terms of, you know, how that's been going for you for two years now, working uh, on these really serious issues with the city, uh, coming from your activist background? Um, you know, do you believe you're making a, a positive difference for your community?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question, because it can be really difficult for somebody to come from an activist background and um, and get involved in the government. And it's been a huge learning curve for me. So I'll tell you about it in three ways. One is, as a job, uh, it's the best job I've ever had in that uh, it I feel really passionate about trying to make people's lives better in St. Petersburg and in our and set a good example across our state. And, you know, to be able to connect with community members from this role has been uh, so special and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Having said that, trying to get stuff done in the city government and in the government in general is like it, it can feel sometimes like banging your head up against the wall. Um Things move slowly. Uh, sometimes it's understandable. Sometimes it's not. Uh, People have entrenched opinions uh, that don't want to see the status quo change. So that can be really frustrating. So, yeah, you know, the flip side of having a job that really gets you to connect to the community is, uh, you know, trying to get things done and uh, really um, coming into a lot of headwinds. But the truth is, is that uh, while I may not win on everything or I may not get my way, I've been able to make some good impacts Uh, in this coming budget. We've got. Uh, Money for uh, eviction diversion programs that wasn't there before that are going to help us fully enforce state law and should keep people in their homes and save the city money. Uh, I mentioned utility rates before. I've been making headway in getting the utility rates restructured so that uh, they're much more progressive and regular residents get to uh, save money every month instead of uh, the increased burden going on everyday users. So that's coming in the pipeline um we've uh managed to make an impact on how much affordable housing has been built in the city um it's been significantly more not just me but the activist community is working on these issues as well uh so we used all of our almost all of our arpa funding to go towards people's needs particularly affordable housing uh we've made significant headway on a lot of issues and there's a lot of other things we've done amendments uh i've, I've pushed amendments on uh, packages that have gone through to make them a little more palatable um and so you know it's a long battle and a long struggle but uh every day i learn a little bit more um it's not something you just come in off the street understanding uh exactly how to get legislation through government and so um yes we really made a lot of headway and the activist is engaged like no other time before and i think you'll see start to see um more people uh, start to come around and see things like on the utility rates that uh we just didn't get to discuss until i got here and so um, yeah, it's been going really well, I would say.
0: All right. Well, we'll be continuing to watch you and the rest of the city council as they work on these issues going forward. Richie Foy, city council member of the city of St. Petersburg, thanks so much for your time this morning.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate all the work you do uh, in independent journalism, it's really important for our city and our state. Thank you so much. All right, that was Richie Floyd, St. Pete City Council member,
0: and now we've got some open phones here for the next uh, 25 minutes or so. Uh, I want to bring a couple issues up. Obviously, if you want to weigh in on the ballpark, people, you know, we there's certain issues that, and this, of course, issue has been going on forever, like 16 years in terms of the discussion about a new ballpark for the Tampa Bay Rays, um, but uh, it's a very emotional issue, I find, and it, it, in some cases, it's simply, for some people, whether it should be on Tampa or St. Petersburg, or you shouldn't spend any public funds on it. I, I will say, you know, you're ta- we're talking about these $600 million in public, at least, right? We also talked about the $100 million plus for infrastructure. Uh, you're not getting seeing any money from the state of Florida because that is one thing that our legislature does not do is they got out of that the, the business. Uh, uh, I mean, they certainly do a lot of corporate welfare, but not when it comes to ballparks in recent years. And that's a, certainly a contrast to say the state of New York, a very blue state, very different state politically than Florida. Uh, I'm thinking about the new uh, football state They're going to be building for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, The governor there, Kathy Hochul, is a, I think, lives in Buffalo or was from Buffalo, big Buffalo Bill fan. And they're making sure that they're spending a lot of money on a stadium that I guess they'll have concerts and the like, but really is only used 10 times a year. Right. When it comes to professional football, 813-239-9663. Other couple issues I want to bring up to your attention. Uh, Let's talk politics. Why don't we hear? I've um, the, seen the, the this week has been, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis not doing well in the GOP presidential race, which is uh, accurate. Certainly. I'm not going to tell you otherwise. I do want to say this, though. I saw this new uh, poll, I think it was CNN, University of New Hampshire poll that came out yesterday or two days ago that made a big headline that he's in fifth place now in New Hampshire. A couple of things on that. One is definitely New Hampshire is a somewhat of a moderate state. It's gone blue. It's gone red in presidential elections. Uh, it is definitely not a Ron DeSantis state. For example, Chris Christie has been, you know, everybody's behind Donald Trump in that state. But Christie's doing well because he's more moderate and he's not going to be doing well in other states. OK, so I think that poll showed that Ron DeS- excuse me, Ron, Donald Trump had 39 percent. But the difference between the second and the fifth place uh, candidates are really tight. So let's just be fair about that. We're talking a few percentage points. Uh, In that poll, Vivek Ramaswamy was at 13 percent, Nikki Haley at 12 percent, Chris Christie at 11 percent, and Ron DeSantis at 10 percent. But more significantly, he has dropped 13 points since that last time that poll was conducted in July, and that's among moderates. They say 26 percent were backing him in uh, self-described moderates in New Hampshire back in July, and only 6 percent now. I guess they don't like the rhetoric they're hearing. And also, when conservatives, concerned, as he fell by 8 percent, DeSantis is doing better in uh, Iowa, but – and I appreciate this story. Uh, it was written by Emily Mahoney in the Tampa Bay Times uh, yesterday, which is I think every story that any political reporter writes about Iowa right now going forward should include this. OK, it's the first state uh, for the – well, it, Democrats are no longer using it as their first state. They don't have a competitive primary this year, but they would not be starting in Iowa. Republicans still are using Iowa, the Iowa caucus. Um Going, you have to go back 24 years. So the last Republican who won Iowa won the nomination. That was George W. Bush in early 2000, right? I mean, you go to 2004, that was, uh, or should 2004, Bush won that. There was not, not a competitive election. 2008, uh, Mike Huckabee won the Iowa caucus. 2012, Rick Santorum. 2016, Ted Cruz. The point being, all this attention is put on Iowa. All this manpower, women power, media power, uh, miles traveled, Town halls, uh, and they don't choose the person who ends up going usually Republican Party to be the nominee. Just kind of interesting, isn't it? Uh, New Hampshire though is definitely much more the case of who wins that. And so you know, I think just in terms of your bandwidth, if you care about this stuff. Um, by the way, there will be another debate coming up next week, next Wednesday, right? Southern California, um, and and the, the announced that the third debate will be sometime uh, end of next month, I believe it is in Miami. Another thing issue I want to bring up is immigration. Uh, we'll talk locally and we'll talk nationally. Yeah, locally, there's an issue here. Actually, at one o'clock, a uh, little over an hour from now in Brooksville, there is going to be a news conference regarding the case of Raquel Lopez Aguilar. Who is this person? He is the 41-year-old Mexican citizen taken into custody for allegedly driving without documentation and transporting an undocumented immigrant into the state last month from Georgia, and, uh, People who are supporting him are calling him the first victim of SB 1718. That, of course, is the immigration bill, the anti-immigration bill that was passed by the Florida legislature and signed by Governor DeSantis earlier this year. Uh, That bill we've talked about certainly on the show and it's been well reported on. Uh, it does a lot of things, but certainly for some uh, immigration groups, they've been most concerned about the provision that makes it illegal to transport an undocumented person across state lines. And that's what uh, Mr. Aguilar has been accused of. Uh, and he apparently did not have papers himself. So this is a big deal, though. The Mexican government is involved with this case. Um, and I don't know if any of you folks have a thought about this. Again, you can let us know here, 813 239 nine, six, six, three. So he, there, he is being detained, uh, at the, uh, Hernando County facility, detention facility, I believe it is in, in Brooksville. And there is going to be a a news conference at one o'clock on that. Um, that bill was changed in different ways where it was a little more tougher than it actually already is. But again, what's so unique about this, and maybe folks out there like this, uh, is that, We've never really seen this in Florida, this type of bill, because uh, the, the immigration is considered a federal issue. Now, some would say, maybe many would say, the federal government's not doing much about it, and that therefore uh, states need to do more. Look, you can maybe make that argument in Texas. Arizona tried to do that right in 2010. Maybe they did do that with their controversial bill. Florida, I mean, there's no question we have undocumented immigrants in the state, and undocumented immigrants are in every state. Uh, But do we have a problem here? We know that DeSantis, because on so many issues, Ron DeSantis has loved to federalize what goes on in the state. I mean, I've seen this since day one when he got elected in 2019, when he went after, quote unquote, sanctuary cities here in Florida, when we really didn't have any. There was an issue with West Palm Beach County at the time. And Maybe some other sheriffs talked about they weren't going to really go hard on if they had, you know, they came across an undocumented person. But, you know, what DeSantis is famous for is these, you know, so-called stunts, right, of flying people who have never been into Florida and moving them to Martha's Vineyard or what have you. So in terms of a problem here in Florida, but uh, nevertheless, that bill was passed. And that's the reality. Now, there is immigration problems in this country right now, not only in Texas, where there are serious problems in terms of like, you know, how to handle all these new people coming in. And that's been reflected by it was happening in New York City, of course, uh, with Mayor Eric Adams there complaining, of, uh, you know, intensely to the president about he needs help because he's got all these people and they're trying to find housing for them. Uh, I'm curious what you think about that. Uh, it does seem to be a, a more of a problem here. And- um, Again, an issue that is not being done, anything really done with now, um, right now. Okay, so we've got, uh, let's see, Cody wants to talk about the immigration issue. Cody calling him from Tampa. Hi, you're on the air.
3: Wanted to mention, I think a factor in the argument uh, for this driver that they caught. um, For me, my first thought is, did he have car insurance? Was the car registered? And did he have a driver's license? Because for anyone you would go to jail if you were driving a minor around in an unregistered uninsured vehicle without a license. And so I think apart from the immigration side of things, which is its own argument, yeah. That safety for me and my family. I'm driving my kids around right now. I'm at a red light talking on the phone.
0: Yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah. You
3: know, what if what if what if you hit me or my kids or something? He's uninsured. Mm-hmm. Um does he, has he been trained to drive in our country? So yeah, no, I've, I just think yeah. that should be a side argument mm-hmm. apart from the the national immigration argument side of things.
0: Yeah, well, no, I I appreciate that, Cody, and um, you know, again, he, the, the, I believe the reason he was cited was I, I don't know if um, you know if there was a something at the traffic light or you know how even he was pulled over. I, I don't know that information, but um, yes, you have to have in the foot hit of fora to be legal. You have to have a driver's license. You have to have insurance. Everybody does. And if he yeah. doesn't, um, then that's an issue on itself. Um, but he is being detained now because of course he is not legal here and um uh so we'll, we'll have to wait and see all the details and again i wish i could go to this press conference is going to be in brooksville in a little a while from now but it's a big deal here certainly so i appreciate your thoughts anything else yeah, about the yeah interesting yeah yeah uh,
3: no i just think that like i just i know there'll be a lot The most of the argument is going to focus on the immigration and you know if he could have got a license this or that but i just thought like you know just from my perspective as a parent who's not necessarily against the immigration, um, it's the safety for me. Yeah. And I,
0: uh, so. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Cody, for the phone call. Appreciate All that. Yeah.
3: Thank you for taking
0: it. I- All right. Great. Eight one three two three nine nine six six three. It's about eleven forty five in the morning here on the last day of fall. Uh, in no, excuse me, the last day of summer. The uh, first day of summer is. Uh, yeah, i a little crazy day here. First day of summer happening tomorrow, of course. And uh, enjoy this little light humidity for a couple of days because it's coming back in a couple of days. Um, let's see here. Now we've got uh, somebody else writing in here, and you can write us at DJ at dj.wmf.org. It's shameful the immigration law is scaring up people. We depend for labor in the hospitality, construction, and agriculture industries. All Floridians will suffer as a result. Uh, Bubba writes in on that. Um, you know, we're seeing – you write – I read all these articles and I don't see, I hear, you know, it's a lot of it's because some people don't want to be, they want to be anonymous and they're not quoted. We don't have a lot of hard data on this in terms of lack of uh, folks, uh, undocumented folks who no longer are working here. You do see stories about that. You see interviews with that. Um, it's the law has only been in effect since July. I think the, the coming months, we'll see more of that. And maybe again, maybe... The public is okay with that. Maybe, I don't know if they are or not. There's a reason why some of these um, laws, say, on E-Verify have never happened in Florida before. And the reason is that um, labor, you know, um, businesses have pushed back on that uh, because they depend on some of this labor. Now, there are separate measures to try to bring in, and we do have some of that in terms of uh, labor where it's lawful to bring some folks over to work for a certain amount of months, and then they go back. But, again, you know, it's such a a mess. And I, but I hate when I do talk about this to people and sometimes that's what they do. They throw their hands up in the air and they go, it's a mess. We can't, you know, this has been around forever. Don't give Joe Biden a bad time because like, this has always been going on. And it's not about giving the president a bad time or no, no. It's like, let's do something about this. Can I also mention another pet peeve when it comes to immigration reporting? I do not believe, and I don't think you should believe any story where it says when they talk about how many undocumented people are in this country, that there are um, what's the number? 11 million. And the reason I say that is because that's the number. Check out stories from nine eleven. okay, when we had, you know, after the nine eleven tragedy, and we were much more concerned about people in this country here, and that was a number we heard back then, and I'll, I'll trust that that was accurate back then. I just don't believe that you've had people coming and people leaving, and somehow it still remains at 11 million in 2023. I'm sorry. I just don't believe that, and I and I really um, push back whenever I see anybody. It's like, where are you getting that information? Now, I think it's almost impossible to get completely accurate information if people are sneaking in in if you will and there's no literal documentation about them obviously so but i know some of this they count by the border crossings and how many people are caught at the border and these border crossings um are going this past week have been a real big deal they've gone back up um so oh, i'm sorry i'm touching the microphone there uh okay getting another note about this um caller doesn't understand the insurance laws in florida your insurance protects your uh your interest not the other driver Ford actually has a self-insured option under this law. Um, speaking about driver's licenses, there is what roughly 18, 19 States that to deal with this issue have provided driver's licenses for the undocumented. This was something that actually, um, I, there, there have been bills proposed on this in Florida. Um, uh, now the way that the state is, you know, so much more conservative, it's not. They're not going to see the, the light of day. There was a lot of push for that. I remember back in 2014 when uh, when Governor Rick Scott was still in, in power, that there was. I don't know how far those bills went, um, but that is a way you kind of deal with this issue. Uh, but it's seen as by you know immigration critics or, or people who think you know they want to really make sure that we're stayed by the laws that you're rewarding these people if you do that. Um, but the folks aren't going to drive, right? They are going to drive. Uh, for work, for what have you. And, um, and as the part of that law, as you know, was that we weren't going to, um, uh, you know, respect those States that had those driver's licenses, uh, that were given to undocumented people. So if you know, if you come from a state, say like California that has, that allowed undocumented people to have driver's licenses, that would not be recognized if you got pulled over here, uh, in the sunshine state. Um, and I would just go back to talking about the immigration issue. So you might have seen the news this week that Joe Biden announced, Homeland Security Department announced, um, that it was going to, well, close to like maybe 472,000 Venezuelans who left their country uh, and entered the U.S. to um, have, apply for work immediately uh, instead of having to wait six months. And that, again, is a response to what's been going on in New York City and New York State. Uh, okay, what's going on? We, I see these phone Light up, light up and then these people go away. Okay, 813-239-9663. Okay, folks, so um, what do you think? Okay, and again, going back to the ballpark for a moment, the proposed ballpark, which um, it's it's I say proposed ballpark, it's going to happen, right? I mean, uh, Council Member Floyd uh, may ultimately vote against the proposed park when it comes before him, um, and maybe there, he might have a few others. Will he have four? I guess it would deadlock at 4-4. I don't see that happening. The same thing on the Pinellas County Commission. Um, but should it? I think, again, we should hopefully have a very uh, robust discussion, public discussion about this over the following months. You know, there are teams there. You know, you, you hear some folks talk about, well, this is just the way the cost of doing business that uh, public has to pick up some of these share, uh, you know, the share of some of these costs. No, not necessarily. Uh, I will go back and be provincial and talk about San Francisco because in the late 1990s, when they built what is now, what is it called now? Oracle Stadium, Oracle Field. It was Pac Bell Park originally. Um, the baseball stadium in San Francisco, okay? Uh, that was built with private funds because the city and the, the community there struck down four different ballot proposals uh, in the 1980s and 90s, both in San Francisco County and in Santa Clara County, and I believe San Mateo County. They said no. We don't we're not gonna pay for this. And it got to the point, and I know some longtime folks who were here in the early nineties and certainly followed baseball know is that the San Francisco Giants were almost gonna become the St. Petersburg or Tampa Bay Giants because they were uh on the market and they were purchased by Vince Nomoe uh for, I believe, roughly $105 million in 1992, and the Giants were gonna move here and the Giants were going to leave San Francisco because they couldn't get a ballpark. And, um, you know, th- they were uh, frustrated and th- they weren't going to get public subsidies. Uh, and what happened, of course, somewhat tragically for this community at the time anyway, was that uh, MLB intervened and they said, we got to find a way to keep the Giants in San Francisco. It's too big of a market. And uh, they did total socialism. They ended up, oh, I'm sorry, I said 105 million, it was 130 million that the raised, excuse me, that the ultimately the rays owner Vince Nomoli was not the rays owner at the time there was no rays at the time uh, he was spending uh, wanted to buy them the giants for 130 million mlb said they found a, a package of uh, investors for 105 million and they kept the team in san francisco we all know what happened the rays ultimately got a team that began in 1998 they began it with a stadium that had built like 10 years earlier the stadium that they still playing in now which frankly is not very aesthetically pleasing which is why in part they've there's always been this demand for a new ballpark. Maybe that's again. If you don't like, you know, an argument to say to the Rays owners: if you don't think it's aesthetically pleasing, then you build it yourself. Why do you need the community to help you out with this? Um, but anyway, I, I, you know, and I saw an interview with former mayor Tampa mayor Bob Buckhorn. Uh, it wasn't a new interview, but it was Bob Buckhorn talking about five years ago, and he was saying like, you know, you know, how Tampa wanted to bring this team over here, but he said at the time he didn't have the money. And maybe that was ultimate holdup here. Why this Ebor City uh, concept, which they tried in 2018 and again was being revived in recent months, did not happen. Uh, and Sampy and Pinellas County are is willing to cough that money up. By the way, Joelle and Schilke is going to be your hostess with the most. This is going to be coming on in just a few minutes here on WNF. Please stay tuned for that. Uh, I don't know what Jelena is putting on the show, but uh, we'll have to wait with bated breath to to find that out. Okay, a couple of t- uh, messages here. Uh, let's see. Um, okay, I'm sorry. I'd like to ensure immigrants receive uh, – somebody writes in. Again, people are not leaving their names here, uh, so I'm always hesitant. Maybe I should read this aloud by myself. I'd like to ensure immigrants receive proper driving instruction courses. That way we can all be safe and not cause accidents through – uh, given ignorance. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Right. I mean, whatever you think, and I think the, the caller who called in about this, he was concerned, he said, you know, on a safety issue. And I think that's totally legitimate. And I think, again, that is why those States have done the 18, 19 States who have, uh, allowed undocumented people to have driver's licenses. That's the reason they do it. Like these folks are driving on the roads right now. Okay. So you can say that's a uh, rewarding illegality. Uh, and we should, you know, arrest these people, immediately detain them and and, and have them deported. But, uh, you know, it's too many people and they're driving right now and we've got enough issues with driving right now on I-75, I-4, right? It's going to be a dangerous place out there. Uh, But we're not going to do that. And I'm just curious, again, SB 1718, the uh, immigration bill, what are the ramifications of that going forward? There is a reason, I mean, again, Governor DeSantis, he... Love him, hate him, whatever you think about him. He has always been a guy. He was formerly a congressman. He, at 2016, 2015, wanted to run for U.S. Senate. The thing I've always associated with Ron DeSantis is that he wants to be in Washington. He wants to do, uh, uh, he wants to be bigger than Tallahassee, although Tallahassee by itself is a huge, in the state of Florida, is a huge economy on its own. And, it, it, you know, there's it, it a lot you can do here. As we're seeing, as we're living through, you can do a lot. By the way, I, I know we've mentioned this before, but the fact is, um, uh, governor DeSantis does not make it. Uh, he is still the governor of the state for three more years, people, three years. So, you know, I saw this news this week about Matt Gates thinking about running for governor in 2016, 2026. We've seen Byron Donalds, a congressman from the uh, Southwest Florida area being considered. And I mentioned last week, all the cabinet officials, Jimmy Petronas, Ashley Moody, Wilton um, uh, Simpson, and perhaps the Lieutenant Governor Jeanette Nunez, all thinking they may, you know, or think, think about the idea of running, but that's a long way away. Okay. 2026. And what's Ron DeSantis going to do here in Florida? You know, I'm, I'm curious about this. We do have the legislative session coming up in a few months and they're still boasting about how successful it was in this past year. What are they going to do for an encore? What's the Republican legislature going to do on things like this? They can't really do an immigration too thing. Can they? I mean, they really, this was pretty much all out here. Um, uh, Alvaro is writing in here. He says, immigration is a lot more complex than the politicians and the media, including you, put across, Mitch Perry. Okay. It's also related to economics, one large part being the movement of capital across borders, as well as the movement of goods and services and U.S. military personnel and equipment. Alvaro writes, Mexico is now the largest U.S. trading partner in the world, along with stopping the movement of immigrants. What if we seal the border and not allow a single truck or vehicle to cross? Well, you know, uh, this, the, the point is, speaking about the Mexican government, is the Mexican government is very interested in this case up in Brooksville. Um, the consul of the Mexico uh, it, uh, Mexico in Orlando uh, is an official that who is very much involved with the situation with this person uh, uh, that we mentioned earlier, uh, Mr. Aguilar. So um, it's got international implications, but I think I, I if if I've somehow somehow um, said that well I, I'm curious I'm not going to debate somebody who's not sitting here about uh, if if I'm looking at this too simplistic. Uh, I'm not. I think it's also a very it's a major political issue. It always is, and it's not being handled. I mean, is, does anybody out there think it's being handled sufficiently right now? Uh, you know. Everything's okay. Not a problem here. I I kind of wonder about that. Uh, So, okay, so what else do we have here coming up here? Um, I should say in a couple weeks, we've got the fundraising drive. Yes, yes, we do. October, uh, well, for us, I think it's October 6th, October 4th, the station is going to be asking for funds again right now to keep the station on the air. And so I hope you're, you know, folks who have been listening to the skinny here, we have been going on the air now for, what, seven, eight months now? in this incarnation. Uh, And so hopefully you'll, you'll want to show your support at that time Uh, again. Okay. So I keep on seeing people calling in and then, okay, I'm going to bring this caller up here. I don't even see if there's a, okay, we're getting a name here. Um, Okay. This is Simon. Hi, Simon, you're on the air. Simon.
4: Hey Mitch. How are you doing guy? Great. Um, Hey, listen, uh, real quick on the immigration issue. Uh, I think what's not being told is that our birth rate is about 1.7 in this country. We need to be at 2.1 to sustain the civilization, to sustain the society on birth rates. So I understand that aspect of it. But what's not talked about a lot is the remittance back to Mexico in some statistics to the tune of $550 billion from people that are living here, whether they be legal or illegal, which I believe is greater than the actual exporting of oil by Mexico. So I think if you want to stymie the immigration issue tactically, you could tax that rate of $50 billion going back to Mexico and other countries as well and try to save some of that money for the cost of uh, services that the illegals require.
0: Well, you know, uh, I would just say at the top part of that means you know to tax anybody, we need to know who they are, right? And uh, I don't know if they have to have a social security number, but you have to be in the quote system to do that. Oh, well,
4: yeah. yeah, but no, you go through the system of Western Union when they when mm. they when they're or in a stopping in Walmart or whatever yeah. services. There is a there is a uh, footprint that you can't track of money going back mm-hmm. to certain countries.
0: Well, certainly, you know, we know that's been happening with the situation with Cuba, right, for for, for decades, uh, as it were. Um, well, you know, it's an outside-the-box concept, Simon, <laughs> so I appreciate you uh, bringing that up. Uh, okay, yeah, thank you very much. Okay, we're almost out of time here right now. Uh, look, I mean, it's it, it's so encompassing to, to, to bring this up, um, but... We have in terms of the issue of immigration, but really nothing's happening on the federal level. And uh, again, the big news this week, I think, in that level was Venezuelans now are going to have the ability, or at least people who came in what, before July thirty thirtieth uh, this year, it's it's a solve for New York City to some get some people who, by the way, yeah, there are there are jobs available for folks who you know can't work because they're not legal to work but they're not being done by other Americans here. So um, we'll see if that's going to help. I know some critics say it's not because it's going to be, well, more people want to come in here. Okay, you are listening to WMNF 88.5 FM. Skip Sassy has been our engineer. Irene has been taking the phones. Thank you both so much for helping out. We'll be back same time next week. You're listening to WMNF 88.5 FM in Tampa.